We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative experience for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. We are continuing our sermon series called The Best Stories Ever, and today's sermon is called Our Invitation. We're going to be in Matthew 16, so if you have a Bible, I want you to open that up, your device or a paper Bible, to Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. It's a very interesting story where Jesus is having a conversation between himself and his disciples, and then focusing on a conversation with Peter. And this is how it goes. Starting in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say the human one is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. In verse 15 he said, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, of course, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock, and the gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. So imagine this scene. One day Jesus is just walking along with the disciples, sort of a casual conversation, and he turns to the people, his disciples, and he says, tell me, what's the word on the street about me? What are people talking? Tell me, tell me what they're talking about, about me. And one of the disciples pipes in and he says, some people think you're John the Baptist, which would be a normal response that, oh, this is like another John the Baptist and that you had that kind of ministry. And the others think that, of course, it's Elijah that had come back to life. There were people who believed that as well. And then there are those who think that you're like a Jeremiah, like you have a Jeremiah ministry, like similar to uh, some of the Old Testament prophets as well. So Jesus now goes very personal though. And he turns to them and he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? I'm not necessarily so concerned about everybody else out there and what they're saying. I want to know what you say. Who do you believe that I am? So if you read through the New Testament, you're not surprised at this point that Peter is the first one to answer because Peter's impulsive. He's quick to give his opinion and his thoughts and interject even his physicality, like I'm gonna take this situation with my own hand, right? And that doesn't always serve him well, but this time he's right on track and Peter pipes in and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So A plus Peter, you're right on track. And Jesus says, because of course he doesn't want Peter to be all puffed up with pride, Peter, don't you forget that you didn't figure this out on your own. This is something that, that God the Father, my Father in heaven, revealed to you. That you're right, yes, but you're not just on your own thinking this. You didn't figure this out, just Peter. right? You needed a little help to figure this out. So God revealed it to him. And then he goes into this one verse in Matthew 16, 18 that's 
really the focal point of what we want to talk about this morning. And he says, now I say to you, and this is a different translation, maybe one that you're used to, now I say to you that you are Peter, and that word really means rock or small rock. It's the Greek word petros. And now I say to you that you are the rock upon this rock, and not Peter, but the statement he just made that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I will build my church and the powers of hell or the underworld will not conquer it. So upon this confession of Christ, the church will be built. And you read this and you say, well, that's not very radical. We know that, that upon the idea of Jesus, that the church will be built. Well, that's a radical statement back then because it was upon society or upon community or upon namesake Israel that the that the the that the nationalistic religion upon that nation of just because you're a part of the nation means you are you have the ticket to ride right so you'll discover that this is a seismic shift seismic proportionate shift when it comes about the thinking and the eternal plan of God this is the first time that the word church is used in the Bible, the ecclesia. So in the gathering, the church, that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So in all 39 books of the Old Testament, the word church is not really found. And the idea is really not thought of until the communal aspect of the gathering or the communal aspect of the people of God is introduced. And we see it more coming up here in the book of, of Acts as the beginning of the history, the beginning and the history of the church. So the concept was never introduced. And it's not until you get to this point that the very first time that Jesus introduces this concept so in the Old Testament, God primarily used the nation of Israel as a conduct through which he wanted to pour out his love and his blessing and his grace and mercy upon people. But when you come to the New Testament, there's a change and there's a new covenant. There's a new plan. And this plan centers on the person of Jesus. And in this plan, there are some gifts. And I'm going to call them gifts. There are four ideas, but, but also mandates and, and things that we have the opportunity and the gift to be involved in. And I want to offer this for our discussion this morning. So first in this new plan, there's the gift of what I'll call discovery. And in the plan that Jesus is, is introducing, this new covenant that upon this idea, this person of Jesus, not just an idea, but the person of Jesus, I'm building my church, far more really than a plan and far more than a new strategy and even, even a story, right? This is a love story of a person and about a person. It's the story of grace given by a person. It's the saga of the perfect Son of God reaching into the world and inviting you and inviting me to be a part of the grand story that, that Jesus is writing in history. 
And really, in the story, there's only two characters in the story, so it's really easy to keep track of. The first character is Jesus. He's the groom, and in this metaphor of maybe the wedding idea, and in ancient culture, unlike our day, the groom was more of the focal point and the center of attention than the bride was. In modern day, the bride really is the center point of attention in tradition. And so here's the point. If you really want to understand this story, this gospel, and you want to understand the church, you need to understand the person of Jesus, that it starts with a person. It's going to end with a person. He's the focal point. Jesus is the center of attention. He's the key player in the story. And the story is not really primarily about you or me. The story is his story. And the first and foremost, the church of Jesus is a society or community of this person followers, the Jesus followers. So the rallying point of everything we are, really let's say the local like resonate as a church, the rallying point of resonate, everything that we are, everything that we believe, everything that we do centers around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So in Colossians 1.18, it says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme, all, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything, it says. He's the first place. And you'd like to think that in a wedding ceremony, you watch a bride and you watch a groom and you'd think that that uh, the bride is like enamored with the future husband. I, I guess that in, in tradition, that would be like a thing, right? That she's captivated by his love. So in this, in this traditional uh, metaphor, it's customary that she would love him so much and, and want to be a part of his life so much that that she'd be in tradition giving her name over and now willing to be called by his name in a traditional marriage ceremony. I know we do different things now, but if you think about this context or this traditional idea that the taking on of the name. And so as we, if I carry this metaphor forward, that the most important name in the church is not Jesus, the most important name to take on or to be called by is the followers of Jesus. He's the groom. He's the head. The story is about him. And so Ephesians 1:22, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So if Jesus is the primary principal character and it's all about Jesus and it's all about the name of Jesus and taking on the name of Jesus as we are the people and the follow the people followers of Jesus, then where do we fit in? Well, the second principal character is you and I, that we're the church, and the church is called the bride. And several times in the New Testament, the church is described as the bride of Christ. So back to this to this metaphor that Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride 
of Christ. So when we talk about the church uh, in this context, we're talking about the entire body of Christ is the bride of Christ. It's the sum collection of all believers, not just to attend um, here or in a broadcast, but all believers in every church in every city, uh, across every nation, throughout the entire world, all of us together making up the big capital C church that is the bride. So in Ephesians 5.25, just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And you begin to ask, well, that doesn't sound like the church without fault, right? Well, when you begin to really look at what God is doing, that God is building a beautiful bride, beautiful church bride. God is in the business of building this church bride. So you ask at this point, um, based on your experience, okay, where is this church? right? Well, I think the church has taken some heat and criticism because of scandals, divisions, unfaithfulness, all kinds of issues. Every time you get two people in a room, you have two different opinions and the potential of conflict and problems and scandal and division and unfaithfulness, right? And many, 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 many times we've brought that criticism and that finger pointing on ourselves. And so there's a lot of repentance that we need to do as a church. And there's a lot of change and growth and moving towards Christ likeness that we need to do as a church. And we will do that for millennia to come. One thing that I know to be true about the church, and, and this is true, that it's not perfect, yet when it works right, and when the church works together, and when the church is on mission, and when we're focused on the right person, and we're focused on the right works of that person, there's nothing more beautiful in the world than the church. Maybe some of you have a poor view of the church. Sometimes I've had a poor view and still do have a poor view of the church. And without a shadow of a doubt, I know that Jesus loves the church, even with all the blemish. And it is his plan to use the church for accomplishing his purposes on, on this planet. And there's a great love story that he's writing in history, and we get to be a part of it in the church. Well, I see that as a first gift, that we have this person, this discovery of a person, the discovery of the of the grace of this person and the mystery of this person of Jesus. But then the second gift is the gift of commitment. And the Bible is crystal clear that we need each other as the church. We are better when we are two by two, that we need the family of God to accomplish the mission that God has put before us. So there's beautiful stories that are global stories that maybe you've read about when the church is the church and acts like the church and brings in the orphans and takes care of the widows and feeds the hungry and clothes the naked and, and feeds those that, and, and takes care of and houses those that need 
house. And there's beautiful stories. There's one story that I was reading about the thousands of kids in Africa that over the last 20 some odd years, they're referred to, and longer actually than, than 20 years, more like, more like since the 80s. Um, so 40 years. They're called double orphans. And this means that both of their parents have died. Now, you've heard of stories about kids who lose both of their parents, maybe in a car accident or maybe in a tragic way, or maybe both of them um, developed a cancer or something that took their lives very close in, um, in time frame, and kids are left orphaned. Well, there's thousands of kids in Africa who have been left double orphans because of poverty and famine, because of um, maternal uh, birth type uh, death or paternal like death when it, when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, just challenges in in the environment or food or water um, and infectious diseases like AIDS or other infectious diseases. There's some villages that 30% of their entire population has AIDS. And, and so in Africa, millions and literally like, like a large group of people, millions of people have infectious diseases, are undergoing famine, have a lack of water, lack of food. It's decimating and wiping out generations of people. Now in the last 40 years, in the last really decade, We've made progress in certain areas of the world. And I read a story about Malawi. And 10 years ago, Malawi's median age of the country was, was like around 15 or 16. Now it's 18. Yeah, 2020, Malawi's median age is 18. In the United States, I think our median age is like in the upper 30s or maybe mid-30s, somewhere around there. Think about why in Malawi they have a median age of 18. So groups have reported through famine and through uh, death by AIDS and in other infectious diseases, um, by, by death during birth, uh, there's lots of reasons, there's a, there's a litany of reasons why the median age is down to 18. But this is the important part of this story. There's people quoted in Malawian villages saying this about the amount of people who, who die and parents leaving double orphans. You never have to worry about where these kids will go because no matter how many of the parents die, we will take care of our children. They live with aunts. They will live with uncles. They will live with, with extended family. We will take them in and they will be taken into our village to be fed. I thought that this was an amazing picture that I wish and I hope that the church would embrace one day, that everyone has a place that no matter how orphaned you might feel or disconnected or abandoned you might be, that the great picture of the church is there's always room at the table. 
there's always room to feast at the table and to have the extended family of the kingdom of God. And when I read in Romans 12, I see a beautiful picture that just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are parts of the body, and this is what, this is, what is said in Romans 12, and we all belong to each other. So just like the Malawian villages or in other parts of the world, you'll hear different stories about people taking in their orphans in the villages and taking care of the widows and the people that are hungry or need clothes and shelter. They take care of the people. They work together. And that's my hope that, that the parts of the body are connected in such a way that we belong to each other, that our problems that we have or the challenges that we face, that we wouldn't just adopt them as our own, but we would partner to bring healing, that we would be partner to bring progress, that we would partner to experience growth together, learning together. If a child is behind or if a child needs something, that we would supply that something. There are people that I know that, that, that are that live below the poverty line. And as it's an ongoing conversation in my head and around my table and in my family, that, that is there anything that we can do to provide for certain families? I hope that's around your table as well. That there's people that live in poverty that you are connected to, that you know. And I want us to be committed as a family. I want us to be belonging to each other, that if there's a child in need, a person in need, a family in need, that we would belong to each other, that we would support each other in those needs. That's the kind of commitment that's a gift to us as the church. But we also have a gift of involvement, the gift of discovery, the gift of commitment, but also the gift of, inv of inv involvement. And the church has an assignment in the world called the Great Commission, that we are the disciple makers, that we go and make disciples of, of people. And it's repeated, you see, in the Gospels. And we also see it in Acts, that we're given this mission to go, not just to sit on our hands and listen and kind of take it all in. No, we're, we're, we're told to go into our worlds. And our worlds could be our neighborhood, our worlds could be our city, our worlds could be our state, our nation, or you might be and feel called to other lands. But in Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, locally, throughout Judea, regionally, in Samaria, regionally, and to the ends of the earth. You will go everywhere and tell people about Jesus. That's our mission. We are the ministers of reconciliation on mission. And that's not just for like a church leader or a pastor. That's a mission for everyone to go and to share the love. And what I love about St. Francis of Assisi, he says, I go everywhere and, and talk about Jesus just sometimes with words. And so many times our actions of love, our gifts of love, our outreach, our hands and our feet, our work, giving of our time, of our mind, all shows love of Jesus towards another. Well, let me wrap up today by talking about this last gift, and that's the gift of anticipation. 
I believe that the gift of anticipation is important because it keeps us going and it keeps us looking at the heavenly reward ahead. And, and Paul tells us to look at the heavenly reward. In Ephesians 4, it says, when he says, we are all one body, we have the same spirit and we're all called to that same glorious future. So what does that glorious future look like? Well, you don't have to wonder because it's actually written in the book of Revelation where John is given a vision and he describes this in Revelation 19. It says, I heard what seems to be a large crowd that sounded like a roaring flood and a loud thunder all mixed together. They were saying, praise the Lord, our Lord God all-powerful now rules as king, so we will be glad and happy and give him praise. The wedding day of the lamb, here's this metaphor again, is here and his bride is ready. She'll be given a wedding dress made of pure, pure and shining linen. The linen stands for good things that God's people have done. The good things that we have done on earth will be shouted in praise like the linen that we are clothed with. The works that we have done, we're going to be close, standing in pure and shining linen, and God will see the good things that we have done. An angel told him to put this in writing. God will bless everyone who is invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. The angel also said these things that God has said are true. So this is the, the picture of that day, the last day in the future, when the last chapter of the church has been written and we are gathered around the throne and the Bible says that that day there will be people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, right? Every people group will be gathered around the throne, this great chorus of worship, singing praise to God. And one of the reasons why we go and we tell is we want others to be a part of that experience as well, to receive a heavenly, let's call it reward, that heavenly reward. There's people that have never heard this story, never heard about the gospel, never heard the name really Jesus, sometimes even spoken for the first time. That's our future. That's where we're to go into these places of unknown, maybe, or these places that haven't heard about the gospel. So in the meantime, between now, this day, and the last day, he tells us to go and to tell. Because on the shoulders of Jesus, to tell about Jesus, to tell about all the things that Jesus is, and the grace and the mercy that Jesus gives, and the confession that he is the Christ, the one, the gateway, the person that ushers us into that kingdom of God. And he, he is the one that, that connects us to the Father and connects us to this eternal life, the kingdom of God. This is the confession. This is the rock. This is the, the person in which the church is built and the gates of the underworld will not be, will not overtake it, will not take down this kingdom. And that's what makes this story the best story ever. Let's take communion today. When I think about Jesus around that table offering the bread which represents his body and this fruit of the vine, the juice and the wine that represents his blood, and he says, this is the new story. This is the new plan. This is the covenant. It's been told for forever. And, and in the person of Jesus, 
he says, go and tell people about me. Go and tell people about the gifts that I give, the grace and the mercy and the, and the gifts of discovery and the gifts of commitment and involvement and anticipation that you have a new future ahead of you. You have, a new, you have a new story that you get to live and be a part of. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And we say, thanks be to God. Father, thank you for Jesus Thank you for the gift, Lord, of new life, new story, new covenant, new future. Lord, thank you for the gifts that you give us through Jesus. Lord, we desire to be more like Jesus every day, living out, being more like the bride that you want us to be. Help us, empower us, give us your spirit, Lord, to become and to carry out the work that you desire for us to do and to go and to tell nations, Lord, our neighborhoods, our nations around us about the good news that Jesus is alive here and, and wants us. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the eternal life that Jesus brings. In his name we pray, amen.